we're back from a short hiatus because Joe, you weren't feeling well. Yeah, how are you feeling now? I'm feeling a bit better. Oh, I think last time we talked, I was on a bit of a high from all, all the way back from the second episode. So that kind of wore off a bit, and I think that you crashed, huh? I might have crashed pretty hard. Look, it's it happens. It's natural. The inspiration does go away. It has to go away in order for you to to really acquire it for yourself. If you're always doing it because you're motivated, because you're inspired, so doesn't mean much. When you choose to do it when you don't feel like it, mm. that's when you can really grow. Yeah. So it's an opportunity. It's not fun. You know, it's, everyone's been there. It feels like a like a gut punch to feel like you see things so clearly, and then to have that kind of taken the Hester pun of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the main thing is that we're back. Glad to be back. Right. We're back in the chair. We're not giving up. When you fall down, you're not feeling good. You don't feel like doing it. Doesn't matter. You come back, come back to the chair. When you sit down, you put yourself there again and you start training again. You start learning again. It gives you that energy back. So we're going to bring it back. We're going to bring it back to the listeners. And I want to make it clear. I was legitimately ill at one point too. That, <laughs> that's, why we, that's why we skipped this. It wasn't because I wasn't feeling like learning. Right. Okay. So we're glad you're feeling great. Yep. This week's chapter, there's going to be some of it that's going to sound familiar because the beginning of this chapter, we're going to do basically a, a lot of it's going to be a recap of what we did last week. We'll, we'll go through that fairly quickly. And it'll be good to just give us, you know, set that framework again. And then we'll build on that, the, the battle between the body and the soul, what's happening there. And then we'll get into some of the more uh, nitty gritty details about how we actually do it. How does it work? How is that battle fought? So let's jump in. Number one. When it comes to man's state in this world, we can look at it from two different two different perspectives. There's man himself, how man is comprised. And there's also the context in which man exists. So there's man himself, and then there's the world that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. Good. Number two. When it comes to man himself, We've already mentioned how we are comprised. We're made up of two opposites. That's the soul and the body. We see with our eyes, however, even though there are these two elements that are present, what we experience is that the physicality is totally dominant. I mean... There are a lot of people today that don't even believe in the soul. Mm-hmm. The, the existence of our physical body is so overbearing. Right. That and the effects of physicality are extreme on us. Because, I mean, look at it. The minute after a baby is born, he's basically completely physical, he's an animal, and the intellect is only very minimally effective within the child. I, I have a baby at home right now, and I, it's true. It's very unintelligent. But that's temporary, right? Temporary for some of us. <laughs> hopefully. 
as the child grows, the intellect also grows and develops, becomes stronger. Each individual according to their intellect, right? Which is, which is an important distinction he makes here because originally we start off, we're all physical. Mm. Every one of us is almost 100% animal as a baby. As we grow, there are varying levels of intellect that each person has. These are tools that we can use. Okay, so, so each person has a capacity f- for more. Uh, well, of course, each person has a capacity for more or less intellect, but it's a greater portion of the, the mind-body pair can be. Right. There is no equality. Okay. Yeah, some people are, are given better tools to work with. But we'll, we'll see that that's, it's not unfair. The fact that you might have stronger tools or, or weaker tools is it's all relative to how you use them. All right. But coming back to this, so even though the intellect does start to grow within the person, it's not replacing the physicality of the person. The, the physicality remains and it maintains its grasp on the person. It's just that the intellect is now introduced into the equation and continuing to get stronger, so if a person will grow in wisdom, and trains himself, and strengthens himself in the paths of wisdom, he'll develop the strength to be able to overcome his nature. He can't replace his nature ever, but he'll be able to overcome it. And he doesn't throw the reins of his cravings and desires down. He maintains his hold on himself. He's able to go in the path of the intellect. So I had a, a teacher in Jerusalem who's actually quite famous in the in the Jewish outreach world. His name is Rabbi Mati Berger at Eshatara. And he famously would ask these questions, these very provocative questions to people. He would say, he would pick someone up, you would be sitting there, he'd say, hey, Joe, are you a child or are you an adult? <laughs> and say this, you know, maybe it's not you, some other Joe. <laughs> I'm an adult. Say another Joe, yeah. Uh, he's kind of taken aback, like, what's insulting? So I'm an adult. And he says, oh, really? What happened when you were 13 years old? You had a bar mitzvah, right? Mm. Does anyone here believe that at 13 you became a man? <laughs> I mean, who, what 13-year-old out there is a man and not a child? It's just no, no one. It, so what's the Torah teaching us? What does it mean when someone turns 13 and they become bar mitzvah, they reach adulthood? What happens then is not that they become an adult instead of a child. Adulthood wakens up within them, but the child refuses to leave. So this guy who's 23 years old sitting over there, so he thinks he's a 20-year-old, 23-year-old man. No, he's a 23-year-old child and a 10-year-old man that his adulthood has woken up. So this is the official recognition of, of the intellect as it starts to gain some power over the body. It's a level of the intellect that's developed, a maturity of the mind that's developed to a point where a person can acknowledge responsibility. And that's why they're now obligated to do certain things. Mm. Right. That's that's the point, because it's at that level that they have responsibility over certain things. Now, this isn't really our topic, but it's just now that we've come to it. There's actually another age that's significant, and that's age 20, that we have a tradition that even though a person's obligated to keep commandments 
after the age of 13 um, uh, for a boy and 12-year-olds for a girl, they're only held accountable for spiritual punishments at age 20. Because at age 13, the level of, of intellect, of awareness, maturity that's developed is enough to recognize there's right and wrong, there's responsibility, I have to do this, I can choose my intellect over my body. That much autonomy uh, a person of that age has. But to recognize eternal consequences, mm -hmm. that maturity doesn't develop until age 20. So that's an interesting, I think many people don't know that. Anyway, coming back to, to our topic, the intellect becomes introduced in a person, it grows, but it does not replace nature. It just becomes introduced in addition to nature. The content of the things that we're discussing, the things that we experience, the things that we see. When it comes to the nature of physicality, you'll find obscurity and darkness in its very nature. It, that's what it is. Physicality is a very distant existence. Now, it's an interesting phrase he uses here. It's a distant from what? No, it feels like it's right here. Right, exactly. It's tangible for us. It's the most real thing. But the truth is the opposite of what's really true. The physical reality that we inhabit, it feels real to us because we're in it. But the truth is it's the most illusory form of reality that there is. It's the most distant from the Creator. La crave to those who are close to God, and those that are cleaving to His holiness. So true reality is when you get less physical and more spiritual, closer to the source of reality, which is God, infinitude. That actually, I think, makes a little bit of sense uh, almost intuitively. Maybe you have to think about it a bit, but the the creation that exists outside of man is fully dependent and has no hope of ever gaining any level of independence so it would it would inherently be that which is furthest removed from god sure yeah there are many many ways to look at it that's one uh, another is the fact that we see disparity everywhere right things are are different from each other which is antithetical to god god is one infinite mm -hmm. so this world is very distant. Now, that conversely, that's the body. That's what's dominant within us, is this whole nature of obscurity and darkness and distance from true reality. Now, contrasted with that, the neshama itself, the soul, even though it itself is pure and elevated, but when it's forced into the body and attached to the physical body, it becomes divorced from its original nature to something that's completely opposite to it and foreign. And it's held down by an opposing force. It's unable to escape from the grasp, from the hold that's bringing it down unless it exerts a tremendous amount of effort in opposition to this force. Unable to escape? 
Well, it's not escaping it. It means to escape the, the hold on it. What it's trying to do is express its nature. It's being withheld. It's being trapped in the body. And it can't express its true nature of spirituality and purifying the body. It's unable to do any of these things. Right. So it's trying to escape the hold on it so that it can express itself. Now, now that it's been decreed by God that the fusion of the body and the soul is a permanent situation, that means Now we know that there's something called death where the soul and the body do separate. We spoke mm-hmm. about that last time. We understand, though, that that's a temporary situation. But the soul, after this whole rectification process is done, the soul needs to return to the body. And the two of them endure eternally together in that state of, of combined fusion. So the soul needs to exert itself, become stronger. Right now it's being overpowered by the body with darkness, can't express itself. Its job is to fight against that and to diminish the darkness that's being generated by physicality that it's trapped in. To the point where the body remains without any darkness. To the point where it can purify the body, where the body can elevate together with the soul as a vessel for the soul and experience light. Now, here's an aside. We're using terms like light and darkness. And we need to point out here that we're not talking about physical light and physical darkness. Uh, But it's also not accurate to say it's purely an analogy. Because what we'll talk about at a certain point is this physical world is also a manifestation of spiritual reality. So it's not an analogy it it the darkness and light that we see in the physical realm is a manifestation of real darkness and real light but what's that what is real darkness and real light i was just about to ask that good i'm glad you were about to <laughs> what light does is it provides perception when photons bounce off an object and hit our eye we become aware of the object. We perceive it. And if it's obscured, we don't have perception of Mm. that object. So that's in the physical world. In the spiritual world, what light is, is direct perception of reality, the perception of God, which is the ultimate reality. That's the light of God is the perception of God. And darkness is the obscuring of God's presence in this world. So that's the true light and true darkness. And those are manifested. You said, is it? Is that how you put it? They're, they're more than analogies, you said? That's true. I don't want to get too deep into that. Yeah, Let's leave it right. as, as okay. an analogy for now. So when just you should be aware when we're talking about terms like light and darkness, that's really what we mean. Perception. Perception. Providing perception or obscuring it. V'ulam. Ha'odam ba'ilam hazer. Hu b'matzav echod. Man in this world is in one state. That physicality, like we said, is dominant. And since that physicality 
is obscure and dark. Now that we are now found in utter darkness. We're comprised of the soul and the body. The body is primary, and the body is darkness. So what does that do for us? Our whole perception of reality is totally distorted just by being locked down in this body without the soul's ability to purify it. We're very far from our intended ultimate state, what we, how we would be experiencing reality. That we should be cleaving to God, connected to the true source. So in this, we need to place our efforts, invest ourselves to strengthen our soul against the power of the body, the power of physicality, and to improve our station, to elevate ourselves to the point that's really appropriate for us. Okay, so that's number two. That was basically a recap of chapter three, more or less. Let's continue. Number three. The place that we are found in. It is also physical and therefore dark. And everything within the world is physical. And the actions that we do, anything that we're involved in in this world, also must be physical and bodily. Because everything that we're interacting with is physical and bodily. And the state of man himself, the harkovas chalakov, and the way we're structured, we have to be involved in the world. Because we, we have to eat, we have to drink. And other things that are natural, other bodily functions. We have to do these things to, to survive. We can't just ignore our physicality. And you can't not have things, have possessions, even though some people try, which to some extent is a noble cause. But, I mean, even, even Zen monks own something. Well, help me understand. Why don't, why don't we try to do it like the Zen monks, I guess, where you, you focus on... I, I guess Completely just the spirit, minimizing everything. Right, minimizing all of that stuff. Good question. We're getting to that. Whether we're talking about man himself, our body, or the context that we exist within, or any of our actions that we do, all of it, it's all rooted in the nature of physicality, and steeped in darkness. And it requires tremendous effort and strength to elevate to a state of purity beyond that. Because we were forced by our very nature to be immersed in this world, so it becomes very difficult. Mm. Now, if we stop here, your question blows up. But you know, why don't we minimize that? Well, let's look at it deeper. Why would God do this? 
I mean, it's like if your whole goal in life would be to leave land and live underwater, but you can't breathe underwater. <laughs> so sure, you can train your lungs to have a higher capacity so you can spend more and more time underneath the water without having to breathe. But every six minutes, let's say, you still have to come up for a breath. So what's the point? Why would God create a world where the goal is to escape it and you can't? Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. So it must be that there's more to it. Number four. Ve'ulam. However, from the depth of God's wisdom, God arranged things in a way that even though it's true, we are immersed in physicality, in darkness, we're forced to be in this state. Still, through the physicality itself, and the use of bodily functions, we can accomplish our perfection. It's not just a distraction. What's bringing us down is the means to our perfection. And that's exactly what he says. It's the opposite. The thing that brings man down is the thing that lifts him up. If you allow yourself to be totally immersed in the physicality just for its own sake, you'll be lost in darkness, it's true. But there's a way to use it. And if you use it, then that will lift you up, and only that will lift you up. Through the use of physicality, you can acquire true value. How? By transforming darkness into light. Transforming desperation into glory. And this is because God created, put man in a world with boundaries, with rules, with order. That can be used with proper intention and with direction. That when it's used properly by man, those boundaries, those rules, it's ordered correctly. And with the proper intention and direction, that the, that the Creator commanded. Then it will be that that bodily action of physicality, that itself is what acquires your perfection. And it's that which reinforces a state of perfection within man. On a great level, that he can elevate himself from his lowly state via Saraimi Menu and go beyond. Vuulam Hishkifa Achachmelyoino, Al Kol Kloli Hachasurnis Hamutbayim Binyanishal Adam, Bakol Nyana Hamalavia Korha Amitiam at Sarchim Lyasroi, the Shiya Mistabik Bizbrachumabinabatuvai. Now God looked in his wisdom, he's the creator. He designed man. So he looked at all of all manner of deficiency that's embedded in the nature of man that he embedded in the nature of man, and all the potential for greatness. 
that is required for connecting to God and receiving that goodness. Ukeneged koze, and in accordance with that, sider loy sedarim lahagbil loy gavulais. He created rules, created an order and a structure. Asher b'shamra oisam that when kept properly, yisatzim boy kol mashet zarech min amaylo haamitis shizucharnu. It will reinforce everything that he needs to elevate himself truly. And he can conversely eliminate anything that's preventing that connection with God. Now here's an aside. We mentioned in the last chapter the necessity for death. Mm-hmm. Yep. First man sinned and that it tainted, infected physicality with an irreparable mixture of good and evil. And the only way to fix that is to have a separation, a temporary separation of the body and the soul. That applies on a human level and a universal level as well. This death process needs to occur. Now he's saying, theoretically, if none of that were the case, let's say man had not sinned originally, the the original plan was through these actions that we're discussing now, the soul would have been strengthened so powerful. The darkness of the body would have become weakened in a way that an ultimate purity would have been achieved within the body. That they would both elevate to complete connection with God to the degree that's possible for them. But that's not the case. The body could have been elevated within this lifetime, but because we sinned, exactly, it can't. We have to die. Right. So not just we have to die. The same process occurs of the soul being strengthened and then purifying the body, but it doesn't happen all at once. But there is a point for being here. It's not like, so what are we doing here anyway? We should just hit the reset button, right? Man sins, irreparable damage occurred. So separate the body from the soul. So just do it now, right? Hit the reset button, separate the body and the soul, and mm-hmm. let's try again. But no, something is happening here. There, we are accomplishing something even though we're in a state where we don't see the effect. And what's happening is the soul is being strengthened by our good actions, by our turning toward our intellect, strengthening the soul. It is being empowered. It's just that that power is locked down right now. And the body is being purified in potential. It's really happening, but hasn't been actualized yet. Even though it hasn't been realized, a man can acquire his true perfection here in this world, but in its potential form, that it will only become actualized, come to fruition in the world to come. Get the payment in arrears. Exactly. It's just going to burst through all that potential energy that's built up will suddenly... You're investing your soul coins now. Yes. It's the new crypto. It's <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. I was, I was going to say something about Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> I decided not to. Number five. 
Now, these rules that we're talking about, right? God created this context. He created rules and an order that we can use. These are the mitzvahs. These are the commandments. Okay, they're, they're not arbitrary directives. You know, I say do this because I'm God and you have to do what I say. The mitzvahs are the opportunities of the world, the context that we live in, in order to perfect ourselves. That each one, each mitzvah is designed for the goal of the acquisition of man. To reinforce a new level, a higher level of spirituality within man. And to remove any manner of deficiency that's preventing man from God. That through the performance of a positive commandment, a do this type mitzvah, or the refraining from transgressing a negative commandment. Now, what the mitzvahs are and the details of each individual mitzvah respectively, they're all founded in the complexity of man. And they all correspond to something. Now, you know, I, I like to think of an analogy like this, that let's take science, right? Science is the study of the laws of physical nature. What Torah is, what the mitzvahs are, they're the laws of metaphysical nature. Hmm. I think a lot of people don't, don't think about it in these kinds of terms. And you hear people ask questions a lot like, why do this mitzvah? Why do that? What's the point? Like, what, what's... And I, I think the underlying assumption there is that the mitzvah is some sort of symbolic gesture, something that we, we go through this motion and it's some sort of ritual that uh, has a message attached to it that I meant to internalize. <laughs> and while that might be true on a superficial level, it's so much more than that. To fill in putting on these boxes on your head. If you're not familiar with tefillin, it's, well, I don't know how to describe it because- It's kind of like putting on boxes, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah that's little, exactly little what boxes. it is. It's putting on boxes, the scrolls uh, with, with Torah verses written inside of them. And there's all kinds of details, very meticulous details about how it needs to be constructed. It needs to be perfectly cubic. And every angle is a 90 degree angle and it has to be from- the leather of very specific kinds of animals and it needs to be dyed black and the straps need to be from leather and they need to be a certain length and there's a certain letter that needs to be inscribed on it and there's all these like what kind of symbolic message are you supposed to get from that hmm. this is a machine this is a metaphysical device that's affecting the body soul fusion and to ask why am i doing it's like some no one would ever ask if they hear E equals MC squared, right? I'd say energy equals mass times the speed of light. Who says why? Okay, there is a why, right? It was derived mm -hmm. by Einstein. And if you have that level of education, you might ask, 
why you know how is this derived how does this make sense it takes a lifetime and a serious gift to get to that level I exactly think. right the average person you hear e equals mc squared you don't ask why you maybe you don't assume that it's a hundred percent true because at the end of the day it was it was a man who came up with it it's a it's a still a theory but it's well tested mm -hmm. but you, you know you attribute authority to him and you assume that it's true i guess but you don't bother asking why because you know that even though there is an answer it's way beyond you let's say someone does know the answer what are they going to tell you nothing that you're going to appreciate right so it's really the same thing when people ask a question why am i putting on tefillin because it's good for you <laughs> and I, I honestly i don't know the answer but i know that the complexity of your soul and your body and the way that they interact is mind-boggling and somehow this device is necessary for your spiritual well-being how i don't know it's like e equals mc squared but it, it's a paradigm shift in how we're looking at the mitzvahs and that that's an important point i think that's that's pretty good it's kind of mind-blowing the truth is it must be so much more complex i mean we look at science and just what we understand, the, the little that we understand about the universe, which is tremendous compared to what it was even decades ago. And we see how complex it is. So if we're taking it as a given that the Torah comes from the designer of all of this reality, and he gave us this device and with very specific instructions, how exactly it's affecting us must be incomprehensibly complex right the level of, of study and natural intellect it would require might just be beyond us to a certain degree it's always going to be beyond us because the Torah is infinite okay but there's so much to understand I'm just not there yet <laughs> now the wisdom of God that knows all of this designed the world knows how it functions and he knows every aspect, every element of everything in creation and how it can be used, as it was intended in its creation. He looked over everything in the universe and man. And everything that we need is included in the mitzvahs that were given in the Torah. As it's written in the Torah and in the book of Deuteronomy, and God commanded us to do all of these laws for our good. This is all for, for our benefit. We're not appeasing some tyrant. He doesn't need us to do any of these things. Absolutely not. The entire world was designed to be used by us for our benefit. Here's the instruction booklet. I wouldn't call it a booklet. It's... <laughs> More than that, but it's it's the con it's a comprehensive manual for how to be a human being, how to be a perfect human being. Now, it's easy to get bogged down in the details, so let's look at number six. Number six, the root of all service of God, is that a person is constantly turning towards his Creator that we have God consciousness, 
We're living with God. We're walking around with it all the time. And that a person knows and believes, meaning he believes even when it's not clear, even when he doesn't feel it, that he's only created to connect to the Creator. He's only placed here in this world to conquer his desires, to conquer his Yetzir Hara, and to establish himself as a servant of the Almighty. How do we keep that at the front of our minds? When, when it, at times we do feel like, like God is obscured. The how is easy. The doing it is what's hard. Put something in your pocket, a reminder. Look, you know what? We're actually given several mitzvahs that are meant to remind us of this. But even that, we become so used to it. Mm. Wearing these fringes on our clothes, tzitzis. That's what it's for, to remember the mitzvahs. A mezuzah every time we walk out of a door. Having tefillin on our head, having a kippah on our head. There are so many things that are meant to bring us back to that consciousness. There's a commandment. It's the first thing that's brought down in the book of Jewish law, code of Jewish law, Shulchan Aruch, is... Remember God. Easy to say, mm. very difficult to do. It's, it would make all our lives a bit better. It's very difficult to do. Look, think about it like this. This is the secret. This is the only thing that's, that matters. If it would be easy, then <laughs> right. the whole system would fall apart. If it was just an on button. It, right. It makes it follows that this should be the most difficult thing to do, okay. to have God consciousness. And this explains a lot why people are put off a little bit by religious communities. And sometimes a person, even if a person becomes inspired and wants to learn about Judaism, wants to connect, and then they start getting involved in a Jewish community, a quote-unquote observant, not quote-unquote, an observant Jewish community. And they're very quickly disillusioned mm. because they see, oh, these people aren't angels. And how could that be? How could it be if you're living the life, you're going through the motions, you're doing all of the commandments, and still you're behaving like, you know, like me? Now, it's unfair to put it like this because I, I do believe strongly that within observant communities, it's a higher level, it's a high level culture. But there are things, there's things, you know, with everyone. I like to, sometimes I like to give the analogy of, you know, it's like you go to a gym and everyone has this gym membership and you see them, but they're all out of shape. Everyone at the gym is out of shape. It's like, well, how could you have a gym membership and you're out of shape? Well, if you go on the machine, if you don't run fast, standing on the machine isn't going to do anything for you, right. right? If you're not working. So that's what's hard. Just going through the motions, having these commandments as part of your lifestyle it does something for you it really does it's not nothing it's not completely empty but if you're missing the god consciousness then you're going to be lost and unfortunately it's very easy to get lost even when you have the lifestyle i don't know why but for some reason that makes me feel a little bit better why i'm not sure maybe Maybe because I, I didn't do anything wrong to to lose it. To lose it. It's everyone suffers from this. 
it requires constant effort and extreme level of self-discipline. That's what we're working for. Turning on this podcast is a good step. That's right. So the goal is to keep that God consciousness, and that's done with the intellect. We drive ourselves through the intellect. The opposite of our physical drives. And you direct yourself in all of your actions with this goal in mind, not turning from it an inch. That's the goal. Now, that's the root of everything. That's what everything's based on. Number seven. The actual behavior, what do you actually do, that's broken up into two parts. Number one. Things that you do because you're commanded to do them. The second is things that you do because you have to do them for your own needs. Let's break that down. The first one, the things that you're commanded to do, that's the mitzvahs. The second category are things that you use the world for your own personal needs. So, the goal and the purpose of a person doing it, that's explained. We know that. That's just the very literal fulfillment of God's command, doing His will. But when a person does it, meaning God says do X, I do X. Now, when you do X, you're really doing two different things on different levels. Level one is just that superficial level. I fulfilled the commandment of God. I obeyed. God said X, I did X, I fulfilled his will. Number two, when you do that mitzvah, you're accomplishing something. Right? There's a goal to it. It's not arbitrary. You are perfecting yourself in a certain area, one level higher than you were before, as we've explained. And that itself is a fulfillment of God's will for you. That's what God wants, is for you to perfect yourself. So, for example, if I ask my, my kid to clean his room, and he does, so now he's done two things. One is he did what I told him to do. That's good. He obeyed me. And number two is through doing the act of cleaning his room, he's gained a degree of responsibility for himself. Mm. And that's ultimately what I want for him. I want him to be a responsible person. So he, I said, clean your room. He did it. Good. He obeyed me. And also he became a more responsible person. He has now fulfilled two levels of my will for him. And bonus, he has a clean room. Yeah, that's a good bonus. That's that's a bonus for me too, by the way. <laughs> okay. So, Masha When a man uses the world for his own needs, he First of all, it needs to be within the boundaries. 
It's got to be following the rules. It can't be something that's forbidden to him. So what does this mean to use the world? You got to eat lunch. Right? There's no explicit commandment, eat lunch. But you got to do it because you need food, you need energy, you got to survive. So when you eat lunch, he says number one is make sure that it's kosher. You got to eat something that is not a forbidden item. Something don't, that's violate, going... don't violate the commandments exactly. to do something you need to do. Right, exactly. So you, you need to eat. Eating doesn't justify eating pork. Now, if you're going to die, it actually does. That's a different discussion. But generally speaking, you need to eat lunch. Don't do something that's going to hurt yourself. Right? We understand now that a violation of negative commandments are not because God arbitrarily decreed it to be forbidden. These are things which harm us. So we can't do anything like that because that would be antithetical to the goal. Mm-hmm. But number two, it should be something, ideally, which is only for the purpose of developing the health of the body, just what you need to give yourself energy. Now it's at Hayyosertayv, that this is ideal, meaning you can have a donut. It's not forbidden to have a donut. It's kosher. Donut's kosher. You're allowed to eat it. But are you accomplishing the goal or are you just stuffing your face? I mean, why are you eating the donut? Because it tastes sweet when you put it in your mouth. But what's the point of your life? This is another thing even, you know, very religious people get into. Is this allowed? Is this allowed? We get stuck into this mode of thinking, what can I get away with? What's, what's allowed? What his point is here is step back. What's the entire purpose of your life and what's facilitating that? Is there a point, is there a goal being accomplished when you stuff your face beyond I like it? Is that fulfilling your purpose in this world? Hmm. But can we eat donuts? It's allowed. Okay. It's certainly allowed. <laughs> and Let's just be careful about what, uh, what we're trying to facilitate. Yeah, and, and you know what? There are examples where even though it might not be for the health of your body, sometimes you're sad. Eating a donut's going to put you in a good mood. And maybe you need that energy to push you forward a little bit. But you got to make sure, if you're going to justify it and say that this is within the, the realm of doing God's service, you got to be sure that, that it's legit. Mm-hmm. right? And, and that's not so easy it's to easy do. It's easy to fool ourselves, 100%. especially with a tasty donut yes. right there. And also, you gotta, you got to be smart and you got to think because part of this calculation is, you know, if you're already stuffed and you don't feel good and, and because you don't feel good, you want to have another donut, <laughs> right? So that's not going to give you energy. That's going to make things worse. Right. So everything has to come with a very heavy calculation. But the point is that if you have lunch for the sake of giving your body energy, to prepare the body so that you can do soul work, do the things that are actually accomplishing the purpose of your life. You're doing it so that the body won't be incapacitated, so the body won't be too weak to facilitate the work that you need to do that's going to help your soul. When a person uses the world, the physical world, in this way, even though it's not explicitly a mitzvah, 
It turns out that that use is, in fact, giving him his perfection because it's all accomplishing the goal. It's part and parcel of the whole system. And he does acquire new levels of spirituality. The same as, as he's acquiring his perfection with all of the mitzvahs. Because also this is a mitzvah. To keep the body, to protect it in a proper and fitting way. So that it's able to properly fulfill the service of our Creator. And we use the world in, with this intention, with this direction in mind. For this purpose, it turns out that we are elevated through this action. And that lunch, that grilled chicken salad that you had for lunch, also becomes elevated. It becomes part of God's work. Because it became a service to man. He's able to serve God. Okay. Now, at this point, like our previous episodes, I mean, this material is dense. It's a lot to, to take in, and it's a lot to take in at one time. So to lighten the load on you, Joe, to lighten the load on the listener, I think it's prudent. Let's split this chapter into two episodes. So we'll wrap it up here and continue next week. And, uh, and we'll see where we go from there. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Rabbi. Looking forward.